If you will turn to Colossians 1, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to finish up a series today leading into 1 Timothy starting in December that we're looking at some foundational truths. Um, And so this week uh, leading into Thanksgiving, a, a holiday that we call Thanksgiving where we will celebrate many of the blessings and be reminded of lots of things that we have to be thankful for. I, at the same time, I, many of us are celebrating. I know that these holidays are tough. Because at, um, at many of our tables, there's going to be an empty seat. Or inside of our heart, there's a lot of... Uh, Things maybe aren't where you wish they were. Relationally, circumstantially. And um, kind of good news, bad news in the sense of a church of this size. You know, I know a lot of your stories and that's good. And yet, I do know that sermons like this are, are hard at the same time. They're hard for you to hear. Uh, and they're hard for me to preach, and uh, because I know that the circumstances, um, many of us feel like you know the Lord has slayed us in some regard, and yet Job says, "Though you slay me, I will trust you. I'll trust you." And I think thankfulness is. I hope we see today thankfulness. The reason why this is foundational is because. For the Christian, this ought to be a daily disposition of our heart. Not only because we have so much to be thankful for, but we have a God who is sovereign. We have a God who does not allow anything to enter into our lives that that He is not first okay, that He is not sovereign over. And that right there can cause, that alone can cause a lot of angst in our own hearts, if we're honest, trying to make that work out. And, and yet we won't. Uh, John Piper, in, in that excerpt, was preaching from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16, and he says, Therefore, Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. He says in verse 18, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He goes on to talk about though our earthly tent is torn down, he says, we will not be found naked. For indeed, while in this tent we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. It doesn't make things easier. 
But it does give us it does give us the ability, I think, to 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 keep walking, to put one step in front of the other, knowing that that our God has not lost control, that God is not out of control. And and all of this, all of this, this disposition, this this thankfulness, as we'll see today, it has everything to do with the gospel. We as a people have to, it, this has everything to do with the kingdom of God. Not, not the kingdom of this world, not this temporal earthly tent that one day we'll set aside for an eternal dwelling. It has everything to do with the gospel. It, is, it has everything to do with the vertical relationship with our king. We, we focus on the horizontal. And, and, and as Paul said there, it doesn't last. God is focused on that which is eternal. God is focused on that which pertains to His glory. And I, I was talking with uh, um, Sarah Lachlan this week, on Monday. And just asking her how she was doing. And, you know, it blew me away because she said... Uh, this is a mom who has uh, six little ones that, that miss their dad. And she said this, she said, through, through Tom's death, they have had the opportunity to lead um, numerous, numerous fr friends and uh teammates. Tom played football at NC State, was a very, very good football player. They've had the opportunity to lead many of those to the Lord. And this was Sarah's words. She said, I know that Tom would have gladly given up his life for their salvation. That's a strong statement. Coming from a mom who's raising six little ones. And yet she was thankful. In the midst of that, she was thankful. And I was reminded that day that we do not look to that which is seen, but that to which is unseen. God is using all of this, all of this stuff, to create in us, to create a people, to create in us a longing for heaven, a longing for His glory, uh, loosening the reins of, of our grips on the things of this world, our hope, our trust being in things that are temporal, the things of this world rather than things of the eternal. And so today, I, I want us to really just talk about what biblical thanksgiving is, what biblical thankfulness is, but just the, the battle for it, but also the, the foundation of it, the foundation of it. And that we would be propelled this week into, a, into true biblical thanks, thanksgiving. And so you'll see on your handout the main point, a life characterized by thankfulness is the only worthy, the only worthy response to our salvation. Worthy response. Does anybody have a Kleenex, by the way? Does anybody have a Kleenex that they can get me like within the next 35, 50 minutes that we'll be here? Thanks.
It's a worthy, a, a, a life characterized by thankfulness is the only worthy response. There are lots of responses to our circumstances, but, but this is the only worthy, thank you, Jack. A thankfulness is the only worthy response. And I, and I want to show us that today, excuse me, through Scripture. And, and we'll always take it back to Scripture. We're not, we're not going to look at opinions. We're not going to look at the worldly ways. I'm not going to give you six things to do to be thankful. I'm going to give you the Word of God. I'm going to give you the blessings of God. I'm going to give you the work of God in your life that Paul gives. And because of that, we're going to, build a thankful, we're going to build, have a foundation for our thanksgiving and our thankfulness no matter what we face. And, and it, it, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse, starting verses 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There you see it. There you see it. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for the attaining of the steadfastness and patience, joyously, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That's You'll, you'll see here Paul gets right to the point. And I want to show us through this passage today some, some questions we might have regarding thankfulness, but some truths. And the first thing is this, the meaning of thankfulness. Paul says there in verse 11, joyously giving thanks. The meaning of thankfulness. What is biblical thankfulness? What, is, what does the Bible mean when it commands us to be thankful. I think it's important that we say that because the worldly definition of thankfulness and the biblical definition of thankfulness will be two totally different things. From the world's perspective, they, it, it is totally circumstantial. As long as your ducks are in a row, as long as you're healthy, wealthy, and wise, as long as things are going according to your plan, typically people are pretty thankful. But when your plan's interrupted, when your circumstances are interrupted, when life doesn't go as it often does according to your plans, how do you respond? And, and their thankfulness, the world's thankfulness, ceases at that point. And yet for the Christian, we're commanded to continue in thankfulness. Thankfulness is not a subject that is, that is untouched in the Bible. If you looked at the, in the New in the New Testament alone, you'll, you'll find, or, or the Word of God alone in the New American Standard. I know there are some translational issues, and, or differences rather, but in the New American Standard Bible, 169 times you see a call for thankfulness. 169 times. Paul alone uses this word over 40 times in his writings. Seven times alone in Colossians, look with me real quick in verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Verse 12, we saw it, joyously giving thanks. 
Chapter 2, verse 7, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Chapter 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. In the, in, the, in the letter to Colossians, four little chapters, seven times. Many other times he alludes to it without speaking to it specifically. The concept of, thankful, of thankfulness in the New Testament. If, if we were to look at that word, the words have meaning and, and I, I enjoy doing word studies. If you were to look at the word thankfulness, it, it really is composed of two words in the Greek. It's composed of the word from charis, which is the word that we get grace from. And, it, and it's also composed of, of a Greek word that translates to confess or to acknowledge. You put those two together, literally thanks, thankfulness, thanksgiving is an acknowledgement of grace. It's, it's a confession, it's an expression of God's grace in our lives. Thankfulness. And notice where the, the, the emphasis is. The emphasis is on grace. It's not on circumstances. It's not on the way things are happening. It's not whether things are going well for you. Or, it's on grace. We see throughout the Bible, in all things, God is gracious. Therefore, we have reason to be thankful. I mean, thankfulness in its simplest form is simply this. You're acknowledging the grace of God in your life. Even as I say that this morning, I'm reminded, I think it's John 1, 16. Yeah, it says, For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. Listen, God is so gracious, even if you, even if you came in here this morning and you're not a believer in Him, listen to me, every single day He bestows grace upon you. In fact, Matthew 5 talks about the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Every single day there's grace. Romans 2, 4 says, Do you not think lightly of God's kindness and tolerance, knowing that it leads you to repentance? Through His kindness, through His tolerance, He's leading you to acknowledge grace, to repent of your sinfulness and acknowledge the grace of Christ hanging on a cross. He does that. Even to non-believers, He's gracious. And again, biblical thankfulness has nothing to do with circumstances and everything to do with grace. Please hear that. And I realize it's hard to separate the two. I realize it's very easy to preach that here in Odessa. Lee and I had the opportunity yesterday at the, 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 the lunch, brunch, whatever you want to call it, to sit down with two individuals who are Coptic Christians. They're, they're Christians from, who have fled Egypt. And listening to their stories, listening to the persecution and, and all that they faced and dealt with in Egypt. Un, it was unbelievable. And these guys were grinning ear to ear. And, and really their lives have been characterized by persecution. They've lost friends because of the gospel. Loved ones because of the gospel. 
They live in a foreign land because of their love for the gospel. And yet, they were thankful. I would bet their thankfulness exceeded ours. And, and again, a life of, Paul is saying, that the power of the cross, the power of Christ's work in our lives. As Again, look at what it says in verse 9. Paul is praying. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's almost like a, a, a businessman who never goes to the warehouse and takes an inventory of all the goods in his warehouse. You know what he does? You know what he forgets because of that he doesn't realize how much he has. Paul is praying that they would understand the greatness of God's work in their lives, that they would understand through the through a knowledge of God and of his will that you then would be fueled. You'd, you'd have an, a ledger that shows your assets, and therefore you'd see that your assets are far greater than your liabilities. That you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. And that, that understanding God's God, not only in His person, but His acts, fuels, fuels our thankfulness. It, it empowers us, verse 10, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, giving thanks to the Father, a, a life characterized by a thankful heart. Why? Because of God's grace. Taking the time, day by day by day, to, to understand, but to acknowledge God's grace. It does, and again, it doesn't mean that we don't that we don't fight for rights, that we don't fight against injustice, or that we're happy with the way everything is. We're not immune to injustice. We we ought to take up the cause of certain individuals. We ought to fight for for biblical principles and fight for what is what is truth and and hold on to that. But but it, but we're still thankful. We're still thankful. And I think, I think in many ways, um, we spoke to it last week with, the, with regards to the Christian and government. I think, again, the, this election, if we're honest, I think it really revealed some things about us as a country, about us even more specifically as Christians, that, that really was there all along, but, but we really haven't dealt with. I mean, we live, we live in a world that, that faces very, very complex moral issues and how to apply the Bible to these and the gospel to these things can be very complicated, especially when there are things about each candidate that we may strongly agree with and strongly disagree with. And these things can eat at our thankfulness. Think about, think about all that was in play. I, I was sitting there this week thinking about it. All the issues. You had abortion, civil rights, racial reconciliation, equality be between genders, gender issues like what is a man and what is a woman, the definition of marriage, you had taxes, you had health care, you had immigration, you had foreign policies, you had Supreme Court nominees. All of those things were in play. You're, you're going to the polls and you're voting for somebody and all of those variables are in play. And neither, listen to me, no one person agrees with those things. The, the reality is, neither candidate aligned, aligned with the Bible very much on either one of those things. And that makes things very complicated. 
You think about the reality that we as Christians are voting for a non-Christian to be our leader. That right there is complicated. I mean, we're asking somebody who has a totally different set of morals and, and, and view, entire view on the, the world in many regards. We're asking them to be our leader. That's complicated. It's a cause for division. It's a cause for unthankfulness. I mean, not only the fact that, that you factor in culture and ethnicity and race and your upbringing on all those issues. The reality is this, how you were raised affects how you view those issues. That's just a reality. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, this is going to be obvious. I only know what it's like to be a white male. I only, I'm not trying to be funny. That's all I know. That's the only life I've lived. That's the only eye gate that I've looked at anything in this world through. And that comes very natural to me, for better or worse. And I have many, I have many friends who are of other ethnicities and, and Christians. And yet their ethnicity plays an impact on how they view these things and even how they would rank those 10 or 11 issues that we face. And, and I, I say all that because all of these things can eat at our thankfulness. And, and we as Christians can be, can be careless and, and we can let our flesh rule out. There are many hot buttons and many big issues in this last election that affected, that affected my vote. And if I were to rank those things, my ranking of those issues would probably be different than yours. And my point is this, even that right there, if we're not careful, can be a source of that eats, can be something that eats at our thankfulness because it can cause division. And, and even as Christians, we, we have to be very careful how we view these things and, and be careful that we're not filtering even the Bible through filters and lenses that, that go beyond the Bible instead of just allowing the Bible to speak. Allow the Bible to speak. And, and our job is to obey it. And, and again, all of those things you know, affect how we walk. All of those things affect our, our unity. And, and I don't want you to think for one second, I, I didn't get a bunch of emails from the, from, the, from the sermon. The reality is it caused a lot of wonderful this week conversations with people. Even helping me to see things... At, at, from another viewpoint because of this we as a body of christians are called to rejoice and to weep with our brothers and sisters of all colors and all nationalities we re, romans 12 we reap with those who i mean we reap we weep with those who weep we rejoice with those who rejoice and we learn to do this by getting involved by getting involved with other people, people who are different from us, learning to see things from their perspective, learning to empathize and to, to walk down the road that they walked. And again, that makes us healthier as a body. Better equipped with the gospel, but it also challenges us. And in the midst of the great diversity, even amongst this, amongst this crowd, there, in some ways there's not a lot of diversity, and in some ways there's a lot of diversity. And all of, that, all of that creates an opportunity to eat away at our thankfulness because you don't see things the way I do and you don't see the way and I don't see. And yet, 
the work of God in our lives and the work of this Bible. And, and as we saw, the sanctification process is all of us taking all of who we are and conforming it to the image of God. And that's a work that all of us are involved in. All of us need to learn how to, to love one another. And all of these things, again, they can eat at our thankfulness. There, there are some people in this room that are probably elated that Trump is our president. And there are others in this room that couldn't be more discouraged that he's our president. You see the point? Thankfulness. All of this, every point, and at every point, there's a fight to be thankful no matter what. And my encouragement is that, that we be gracious with one another. That, that we confront one another where, where confrontation is needed, that where offenses are made, that we be open even to being rebuked, where maybe we say things and do things that just aren't biblical. And we be open to that. At every, at every point, there's a fight to be thankful. At every point, Satan wants to erode our accounting of God's graces in our lives. That's what I'm trying to get at. And he would love to use, even in this church, this election to do that. Never mind all the other things that go on in this world that, that he can use to eat at our thankfulness. Daily, daily give an accounting of God's grace. Daily coming to the Word and being reminded of just how gracious He is. An accounting of grace, that's biblical thankfulness. Not just circumstances, not just when times are well. An accounting of grace at every moment of our lives, Paul is saying here, you have much to be thankful for when it comes to the gospel. You have much to be thankful for when it comes to God's awesomeness in our lives. But, but not only the meaning of thankfulness, you'll see there in your hand out the battle for thankfulness. And I said all that to, to lead into this. All of those things I just mentioned, Satan would love to use those to eat away at our thankfulness, to eat away at our unity, to get our, to get our, uh, to get our flesh involved. And it requires tremendous discipline. It requires tremendous focus to, to maintain a thankful heart. We t here's the reason. We tend to forget. I thought about as I was, as I was preparing this, we looked at it a couple weeks ago, but in Psalm 103.2, it speaks, we, we tend to forget. We tend to allow things that pop up in our lives to, to erode our thankfulness and to forget that God is an awesome God. Listen, in, in Psalm 103.2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. I think it's very possible that we forget a lot of the Lord's benefits. I think if we were completely honest, the, the, first, the first battle for our thankfulness lies on that fault line. It's that we tend to forget much of God's grace in our lives. We tend to forget. If you were to continue on in Psalm 103, David goes on to, to list all kinds of blessings. Listen to this. It says, He pardons all of our iniquities. He heals all of our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies your years with good things. He performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses. He acts to the sons of Israel. He's compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He will not, it says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He goes on to say, 
just as high as the earth, heavens of the earth and, and as far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions. He has compassion on his children. He, he goes on and on. And, and as, as I read that, here's what I was convicted about. If I was to give an accounting of God's grace, much of what David wrote in Psalm 103 would not have made my list. Why? Because I could tend to forget. I tend to forget. And yet every single one of those that I just named off are in your life and they're in my life. And it's a source for thankfulness. And, and we, what happens is this. We end up with less of an inventory in the asset catalog of our lives. And we end up with a greater inventory in the debit category of our, or the liability category in our life. And guess what happens? We lose thankfulness. Our thankfulness ends up in a, in a deficit. When the reality is, if we really rightly understood God's grace and we're in this word, we, we would continue in the asset category. The assets would overwhelm the liabilities. No matter how great, there are some liabilities in your category, listen to me, that are devastating, and yet God's grace continues. Even Romans 5.20 says, Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Grace trumps. And, and we tend to forget. But, but, but not only that, the battle for thankfulness, not only is that we tend to forget, you'll see on your handout, we tend to presume upon the grace of God in our lives. Here's what I mean by that. I think we tend to think that we deserve something good from God. Like we're worthy of something good. That God is somehow indebted to us. That we tend to think that God's grace means that everything is just has to go well for us. We tend, we tend to establish our own measuring rod that says, God, here's how you'll be proven to be good if all of this happens. And the Word of God says, you know what? God's good no matter what. See, we only see what's seen. We have no idea about the unseen. Little idea, let's say that. And much of what God is dealing with at every moment of every day, um, not, not to embarrass him, but Bradley and I were having a conversation the other day about some stuff, and I was trying to... He's not in here, is he? No, no, no. Don't tell him I told this. Seriously. He's a sensitive guy, so don't tell him. Um, but it, 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 it speaks to the point. We, we were talking about some stuff, and I just didn't want him... Some other kids in the neighborhood were involved in some things, and they weren't bad necessarily. And um, I just said, Bradley, I'm just not real comfortable with you doing that, and I, I don't want you to get involved with that. And I'm not going to name it because some of you might do it, and I don't want that's a whole other set of emails that I don't want to deal with. <laughs> so, you know, he got kind of upset, and I just said, Bradley, I don't want you to do it. So I, 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 I pulled up a website that would explain kind of what I was feeling to him. And I went back in his room and I had it on my phone. I said, Bradley, read this. I want you to understand why I don't want you involved in that. So I gave him a few minutes and I went back in and I said, well, Bradley, what, what do you think? You know, do you understand kind of where I'm coming from, that my heart is for you? It's not just to rob you of your... He says, Dad, I, I read it and you know what? I, I'm 11 and I think I'd be on to Satan's schemes if he was trying to trick me that way. I said, really? Really? 
I said, that, now please don't, don't, don't tell him I shared this. Don't go, please do not go teasing him about it, because I'm just telling you, my son is upset, and I'm going to be upset if you say that. Um, I said, really, that's, that's pretty good for an 11-year-old, that you're wise on to Satan's schemes? I said, because I'm 40, and I know a little bit more about the Word than you do, and I'm probably just a little bit wiser than you, and I get fooled. And, and, and he immediately, you could see in his eyes and in his heart, he immediately realized what he had said. He immediately began to grasp kind of what he said, and, and, he, and he got emotional about it. And You know, I was just telling him, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He pretends to be something that he's not. Masquerade, the word there literally means, it means to, perform, to hide behind a mask. He's holding up a mask. Pretends to be something he's not. He, he, and I said, Bradley, he's coming at you innocently in this little game these kids are playing, and yet there's elements that are all about his world. And, and my job as a father is to protect you. To protect you. And, and we, we tend to presume upon God's grace. We tend to presume even upon our own strength. And the reality is, of, of, if we look at the world through an earthly, fleshly lens, our thankfulness is going to become very skewed. And yet if we look through the Bible, and we know the Bible, and we look through the lens of the gospel, we, we can be a thankful people. Ultimately, it will go well. Christian, ultimately, ultimately, it will go well for you. Romans 8.18, For I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. But it will not go well here on this earth. And if we expect to have our cake and eat it too on this side of eternity, we're going to live very disappointed Christian lives. We have been called to sacrifice, to suffer, even to die for the sake of the gospel. And yet even that is a cause for thankfulness. As I said, Sarah could see behind, she could see beyond that which is seen and she could look to that which is unseen and to see what God was doing. That which Satan might have meant for evil, God was causing for good. That's Genesis 50 verse 12 with Joseph. He says to his brothers, you meant it for evil. You sold me into slavery. You left me for dead. I, I've, my whole life has, been, has taken another course because of your actions. And yet Joseph says, but God meant it for this reason right here. And I'm fine with that. He was thankful. Thankful. In the midst of that, he was thankful. Because he looked beyond that which was seen to, which was un to that which was unseen. And, and God does every single thing. He takes everything in our lives and he is producing in us an eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4 says, he, what he, literally what he's saying there, he, is he, he, he wants a people who are longing for the things of heaven, not for the things of this world. Who are satisfied with heaven, not for the things of this world. And because of this, we can be thankful because of what God is doing, even in the midst of, of horrendous circumstances. He's, he's creating in us a people that look like His Son. That's Romans 8.30. He is conforming us. God works all things together for the good. If you continue to know that out, He's conforming us to the image of His Son, and God gets to determine the good. Just like in my situation with Bradley. He did not fully understand, but I'm the Father. It's my job to look after His good. 
And it's God's, God is looking after our good, and, and we are to be thankful. Look, look with me at a couple of really strong but challenging passages. Look with me at, at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 16. It says, Rejoice always. That right there is enough. Rejoice always. Pray without Ceasing, okay? Listen to verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything. God's will for you is that you be thankful in everything. You say, Chris, how do I do that? You're trusting in the sovereignty of God. Trusting in a father who loves you. Trusting in a father that says no matter what Satan throws at you, no matter what this world throws at you, none of it will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In all things. You, you, you know, you go back to, if we were to go back to Colossians, you say, how does that happen? It's in, in a knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The reality is this, thankfulness is a product of a life that is growing in the knowledge of God that produces spiritual wisdom and understanding. It goes back to our sermon a couple weeks ago when we talked about sanctification. We talked about maturation as believers. Little kids, immature little kids, they don't see things the way that you see them. All Bradley saw was, I was robbing his joy. I was taking away something that, that was going to rob his fun. The reality is I was taking away something that was going to rob his joy ultimately. That Satan would love to use in another way. But it came from spiritual wisdom and understanding. It came from maturation. And it's the same way for you and I. And, and a worthy walk that pleases God occurs in those who recognize but also stay occupied with God as their Heavenly Father. They never get over the fact that you have a Heavenly Father who loves you, who is for you, and will never forsake you. They never get over the amazement of that, that though you were a sinner, Christ died for you. That you, while, Romans 5, 8, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Romans 5, 9, and 10, that you were enemies of the cross, and He sent His Son to die for you. Be thankful. But, but not only in everything, if you were to flip to the left, Ephesians 5.20 says, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a whole different ballgame. It's one thing to be thankful in something. It's a whole different thing to be thankful for it. Again, what is God doing in it? You've got to see that. That requires spiritual wisdom. Seeing God for who He truly is and what He has planned for us allows us to be thankful for all things. And, and that is where, that's where the battle lies. It's staying occupied and mindful of God and His blessings every day, even in the midst of the hurts. It's being occupied with God. Not allowing your focus to get off God. This is like Hebrew, what he says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and sat down in the right hand of the Father. 
These were Hebrew believers who were being persecuted. They were in chains. They were sawn in two. They had given up everything on this side of eternity. And, and again, I've heard it preached before. Hebrews 12.1 is not saying that we're in this Colosseum and all these believers are cheering us on. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Hebrews, you're surrounded by a ton of witnesses to the fact that they, of people of persevering in your faith. And that's what chapter 11 is. Chapter 11 in Hebrews is given, for, it sits in the context of the specific point to show them that they're not alone in their suffering. Their entire history of the Israel people was, was about people suffering. And they persevered. The very thing that the, Hebrew, that the Hebrews letter was written to, it was written to Jewish believers who were in danger of going back to Judaism to avoid persecution. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't do it. Persevere, because Christ is worth it. And in chapter 11, he gives them name after name after name of individuals who persevered even in the midst of great persecution. Those are the witnesses that give testimony to the fact that perseverance is worth it. He's worth it. These individuals had suffered greatly for their faith and they wanted to turn back. They wanted to avoid persecution. You and I have suffered. We want to turn back. Don't do it. The writer of Hebrews spends the whole letter saying Christ is superior to whatever you turn back to. It will not be superior to Christ. Persevere. Being mindful of God as your father at all times. You know, don't, don't be like our kids. It's Christmas coming up. They, your kids, you know, they may give you a list of ten things. I promise you, if you get them nine out of ten things on that list, you know what they're going to ask about? The one thing that wasn't on that, the one thing that you didn't get on that list. You got nine out of ten things. What about that? What about that thing? I... You think we're ever like that with God? We got a ton of things to be thankful for. You know, we, you know we complain about that one thing. We, we have a tendency in our lives to focus on the negatives instead of the positives. And, and our, our affections and our emotions follow that which our eyes are fixed on. And if you become fixed on that thing that didn't work, that guess where your emotions are going to be? And, and the reality is this. The problem is this. We got an inventory problem. We have an inventory problem. We're not mindful of the grace of God in our lives. And what Paul says here at the beginning is, is, and you see on your handout, being thankful requires a proper understanding of the reasons why we should be thankful. And, and when, if you're ignorant of God's blessing, if you're ignorant of God, or, or ignorant may be a strong word, but if your understanding of God and of this word is, is elementary, as he says in Hebrews 5, you're going to have a hard time understanding what God is up to. No, no different than my son had a hard time understanding what I was up to when I was keeping him from something. And what Paul does here, and what I want to go through real quickly, he gives them the, the, the reason for hope, the reason for thankfulness. And what he says is that true thankfulness, you'll see it on your handout, it recognizes our total dependence on God. Everything that we have stems from God. And Paul gives us here, starting in verse 12, the source of thankfulness. And all of these, these four things that I'm about to show you, they all go back to this, the saving grace of God. 
They're saving acts of God. Everything, listen to me, everything in our lives has to go back to our salvation. The fact that God in, that we're believing that Christ died and that, that perfect work has been applied to our lives. That he was the fulfillment of, every, of the, whole new te- the whole Old Testament. Everything was looking forward to Christ. That Jesus Christ was the Messiah, was the promised one. And that he died. And that through faith, his death can be applied to my life and to your life. And therefore, our sins can be forgiven. Let that filter everything. And that's exactly what Paul does here. Everything that he shows us here in verses 12 through 14 have to do with saving grace of God. And these are four blessings. You'll see them on your handout. Four blessings that I want us to be mindful of. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You see it on your handout. In Christ, God has qualified us to share in an inheritance. It's an inheritance. The word qualified there in the Greek, it literally means to make sufficient to enable or to make fit. Here's what it never means. It never means deserving. Doesn't mean deserve. It doesn't mean that God has put you in a place where you now deserve things. It's through Christ's work. You're not qualified, but it's still grace. It's not ourselves. What we're trusting in is that Christ is sufficient. And through my linking to Him, through my adoption into God's family through His work, I have now been qualified for inheritance, but never once did I deserve it. And the basis, the basis of our qualification, you see it on your handout, is the finished work of Christ. It's Christ's work, not our work. We, we now have a share and a portion in that which comes to Christ. You say, well, what is that? If you look at Matthew 5, 5, it says that we inherit the whole world. Think about that. Put that in the asset column of your life. Whole world. As believers. The Bible is very clear. We're joint heirs with Christ. Guess what? Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. If you go to Revelation, it says on his robe, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You will reign. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. I'm with him. Put that in the asset category. You're qualified to share in that. I mean, all the kingdom treasures of Ephesians 1, past, present, future, they're yours through faith. But, But not only qualified, look at verse 13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. You see, that's B. God has rescued you from the domain of darkness. Literally, the word rescue there, it means to draw to oneself. Again, not something that we could do on our own. Grace. The the idea is this. You once belonged to Satan as a non-believer. When your faith was placed in Christ, he took you out of Satan's domain and placed you into his kingdom. You have been transferred. He's going to go on in the next one to say you've been transferred to a new kingdom. It's like the, the, the stewardess comes down the line of the airplane and says, Sir, will you come with me? I've got a seat up in first class for you. What? This never happened to me. But you've been You've been rescued. You, you've been rescued from Satan's power, from Satan's dominion. You don't, this is not your home, Ephesians, Philippians 3.20 says. You belong to a, ki- a different kingdom. 
Think about this. In that rescue, God was once our judge, and now he's your father. You went from God being your judge to him being your father. You went from standing condemned, Romans 8.1 says, For therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? One millisecond before you got saved, you know what you were worthy of? Condemnation. Condemnation. And all of that's through Christ. Once you stood condemned, now you stand totally justified and forgiven. Once you were an orphan before Christ, now he says you have a father. You've been adopted. That's Romans 8.15. You're, you're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. You've been given a new name, a new inheritance. And again, all of that has to do with the saving grace of God. But not, not, only, not only qualified and rescued, you've been transferred to a new kingdom. In, in the, and, and that word transferred, in, in the original language, they would have understood this. In, in the ancient world, when an empire won a victory over another, it was custom they would take the population of that defeated country and they would transfer it completely to their, to their land. We, we see this in Israel's history. The northern kingdom, they were taken, they were conquered, they were taken to Assyria. The, cothern, the southern kingdom was conquered of Israel, they were taken to Babylon. Literally, what Paul says here is, in salvation, God transferred you from a kingdom ruled by Satan into his own kingdom. New citizenship. You've been rescued from Satan's domain of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light. You now possess every, Ephesians 1.3, every spiritual blessing. 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need for life and godliness. He transfers you into His kingdom and He basically gives you everything you need to thrive. And we have to apply that by faith. And we are here, you and I are here to represent that king. But not only qualified and rescued and transferred, he also says in verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. The reality is our sins are ultimately what stood between us and God. And because of that, we deserved wrath. And Christ, a God put Christ on his, his own son on a cross. And all of his wrath, we saw that three weeks ago, all of his wrath he poured out on his son. So that you and I could be justified and he would not have to put his wrath on you because of your sins. Because he rightly put it on his son. All of, the, all of that is only yours through Christ Jesus. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you remain in your sins, none of that is yours. All, all that is waiting on you is condemnation and wrath because of your sin. And yet God in his great grace has offered Qualification, rescue, transfer, and redemption. And all of that, listen, all of that is the gospel. It's the gospel. We gotta, when we share the gospel with people, we've got to make sure they understand that. It's not just, oh, get your sins forgiven and then go live how you want to live. No, get your sins forgiven and now live the rest of your life representing the king who forgave you of your sins. And provided you everything you need for life and godliness. 
I mean, literally, you see it in your hand now, just a quick, a quick inventory of assets. Christ, through his finished work on the cross, listen to what he gives you. In exchange from darkness to light. From darkness to light. From slavery to freedom. From condemnation to forgiveness. From power of Satan to the power of God. And listen to me, the emphasis, the emphasis and the focus on all of that is the person through whom God did that, and it's Christ. It's Christ. All of those blessings come through Christ. And here's the point. Look down in Colossians to 118. Here, here's, here's the point of it all. The point of your life, the point of my life. Colossians 118. He is the head of the body, the church, talking about Christ. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Listen to this. So that he himself would come to have first place in everything. Here, here's, if I can summarize the source of thanksgiving in our lives, the, the place where God wants to take all of us, no matter what it is, this is the place He's taking us, uh, His children, you and I, believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ in this room today, this, this is where He's building us. He's getting us to the place where we can say this, Christ is enough. Christ is enough. We, we go all the way back to Job 13, 15. Though you slay me, I'll trust you. Why? Because here's the one thing that's, that, here's the one thing that can never be taken from me, Christ. Christ is enough. And you think about the impact that that attitude would have on the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around you, that Christ was enough. Why, why did all the apostles willingly die for the gospel? Because Christ was enough. Did they fight for the Bible? Did they stand up? Yes. But in the end, Christ was enough. Did they face ridicule and shame? Yes. But Christ was enough. Did they hate the sin that they saw around them? Absolutely. But they could still be thankful. Why? Because Christ was enough. They knew that Christ, what He had done on the cross, was sufficient to pay the penalty for those sins. That there was a gospel that could forgive any sin no matter what. That where grace abounded, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And listen to me, the goal of everything, you see it on your hand out and I'll close. The goal of everything is that Christ would have preeminence, first place in our lives above all else. That's the goal. So when that thing is stripped away, and you go in chaos, here's what a gracious God is saying. I was in first place. If you can't live without that thing, it's because Christ, and I say that graciously because, again, in this room, there's people going through stuff, have been through stuff that I cannot imagine, and yet God is teaching us this, Christ is enough. Not fame or money or relationships, Christ is enough. And I pray that we would be a people that would pursue that together, that we would be a people that are thankful no matter what, because in all these things, Romans eight thirty seven, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us.